I've been pondering one of the things that uh, what God is saying to us uh, through this crisis uh, that we all find ourselves in. Uh, pondering, uh, because I have seen uh, some emails from some pastors in Romania, I get, get uh, some prayer requests from some of them. They're praying that their churches can also be re reopened because their churches have been closed. And I've heard pastors in our local association, I've talked to some of them, they're a little bit discouraged with the circumstances. And honestly, just being truthful with you, I'm a little bit discouraged too. You know, we've been coming Sunday after Sunday and, and uh, I've been preaching and haven't been seeing anybody. And uh, we've got some few people in here and they're really not much to look at, I can tell you. But I do appreciate them being here. Uh, but there's just that that sense that uh, we have this, we're all in this together, the church collectively. And so I think there, what we need to be doing is considering what, what the message is from God. And uh, there has to be a message from God in this to the church because this is too big, this is too widespread to be ignored. So I began to think this week about where in the Bible do we find such a precedent when because of some crisis or because of some act of discipline from God, the doors of the house of God were closed, blocked, or the temple empty? Of course, in Scripture, as you know, there was but one house of God, and that was the temple, uh, and before that, the tabernacle. So who knew that the doors of our church would be closed for seven or eight weeks. I didn't know that. You didn't know that. But God knew. I think we ought to be asking the question. It always ought to be in the back of our mind. What else does God know that we don't? Should, should we be interested in knowing God's message to all of us in this? Should we, should we be seeking His wisdom and seeking to hear from His heart? I think back to how we began uh, 2020 in our church, we began talking about the 2020 vision for our church, and I reminded you that 2020 vision related to the eye speaks of clarity and acuity and the ability to focus, but spiritually, that's the ability for us, 2020 vision spiritually, is the ability that we have to see the things that God wants us to see for our lives and for our churches, and we talked about 2020 being a pivotal pivotal moment in the life of our church, a moment that uh, would be a spiritual marker for us, requiring us to make radical adjustments in our lives and in our church. And I had prayed that during that time that God would show us how to jumpstart our church so that it could be, uh, we could be the people that God wanted us to be and the church could be the church he wanted us to be. But I never dreamed that we would be restarting our church in 2020. And essentially, that's what we will be doing, along with many other churches across the world will be doing in the weeks to come, is making an effort to restart our church. We'll be starting over. What's that going to look like, and what should it look like? Are we willing to give our church to God like a blank sheet of paper? I've talked to you about you doing that with your own life, but consider doing that with your church, giving giving your church to God like a blank sheet of paper and allowing Him to write the story of your future. So from COVID-19 forward, will the church globally, will it flourish or will it die? And what about this church? Will it flourish 
or will it die? And I think the answer to that is in this question. Will we allow God to restart the church the way he wants? Or do we, you and I, simply desire to return to what we consider to be normal? And honestly, that's what many of us have been thinking. You just want to get back to normal. You'd give anything if everything could just go back to the way it was and you could do whatever it is you want to do, whether that become the church or not. You just want normal so that you can say, oh, it's so good to be back at church. But maybe God has a new normal for us. Maybe there's some changes that he wants to make in all of our lives, in my life and in yours. There are members of every church who, uh, for the most part, uh, but for not being able to go to the beach or not being able to go on vacation or not being able to go to ball games, their lives in relation to God have been very normal. They don't go to church but about once a month anyway, so their church attendance is on track and your church attendance might be one of them. You, you might say, well, normally I don't come to church but about once every six weeks, so you haven't missed that much church. God's on the periphery of people's lives like that and their weekend activities are interrupted but not their church attendance. But I have a sense that the message in closing the doors of the church, not that God closed the doors of the church to give us a message, but certainly he's speaking to us in it, and I have a sense that it is for those of us who come. It's for those of us who bring from Sunday to Sunday what we call worship to God, offering it to him, thinking that he's pleased. I have a sense that God may be showing us that for many of us, that he is on the periphery of our lives and not at the center. So there is, a, there is in us no genuine desire to be truly right with God outside of a church service or two of attendance. Not only is that the case at the Baptist church, it's the case at the Methodist church, it's the case at the Pentecostal church, it's the case in the country church, it's the case in the city church, and it's the case at the cute church that considers itself to be cutting edge. So this morning I want to take a moment to show you a passage of scripture from Jeremiah chapter 7. Uh, God called Jeremiah sometime during the reign of King Josiah. If you know anything about the history, uh, Bible history, the history of the kings, Josiah became king when he was only eight years old. God called Jeremiah when he was a youth, when he was just a young man. So there were two young men growing up together, Josiah and Jeremiah. And I'm sure that they had a spiritual kinship one with the other. According to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, Josiah began to seek the Lord while he was a youth. And when he was 20 years old, he began to purge the land of idolatry. When Josiah was 26, he started purging and repairing the temple and preparing it for worship. The, the plan was to restart the church, so to speak. So the temple was cleansed and reopened, and the people came back. To the eyes of, an, of the ordinary religious observer, it appeared to be a period of remarkable religious revival. The building never looked better. The crowds had never been greater. Then just about the time the doors were open and everything got back to normal, this other young guy, this other young preacher named Jeremiah shows up blocking the way to the house of the Lord preaching a sermon. And so when we come to Jeremiah chapter 7, we have Jer what's, what's understood to be Jeremiah's temple sermon, beginning to read in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, 
Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all of you of Judah, who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words, say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, commit murder, adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, that you may do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I have seen it, declares the Lord. Behold, but now go to my place which was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and I spoke to you rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called to you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to the place which I gave to you and your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brothers and all the offspring of Ephraim. I'm sure you noticed in that passage of Scripture, there's this unusual threefold chant. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. I can just see the people raising their hands and offering that expression as they went to worship. Uh, it would be like us coming back to church and saying, oh, I'm so glad to be back to church. I'm so glad to be back to church. I'm so glad that things are back to normal. Well, here are my points in the message this morning. Here's number one. Normal for them was a return to their rituals, but not a return to a relationship with God. Is that what it will be for you when you come back to church? Just to come back to church, but not to come back to God. They had the mistaken idea, as many of us do as well, that because they met in a fine building, prayed the right prayers, sang the right songs, observed the right holy days, that everything was okay between them and God, but they were wrong. They were going to the right place, observing the right rituals, but they had no genuine relationship with the living God. We see the same thing happening in churches today. People are deceiving themselves by believing that religious words and religious rituals, even religious fervor, can be substituted for a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 7 of Jeremiah is a picture of people who were vaccinated inoculated with a false concept of worship which made them complacently immune to the real thing. The people of Jeremiah's day were so distracted by the noise of their own worship that they could no longer hear.
the voice of God. And God was not impressed with their normal. I don't think he's impressed with what we've called normal either. Normal is not what we need. We don't need to return to normal. We need in the church to return to God. Number two, normal for them was being back in church, but being back in church brought no change in their conduct. You'll notice Jeremiah said, you're coming to church, but you are stealing, you are murdering, you are committing adultery. You have this long list of sins that you're committing, and then you're coming to church every every from week to week, and you're saying, oh, we're delivered because we're in the temple of the Lord. And then you continue to do all those things. For all the services they attended, it made no difference in your life. Some of you are just fooling yourselves, as were the people in Jeremiah's day. You sin, you sin without one twinge of conviction in your conscience. You do that day in and day out, over and over, and you feel like it's okay because you're going to go to church on Sunday. That'll make things even between you and God. That's been normal for you for a number of years, but I have a sense that when we come back, God is looking for something more than normal. Some folks bank on God's forgiveness. They say, well, he's a forgiving God, you know. Uh, we sing those songs about being chosen and not forsaken, and all that's true. But however, God does not forgive the repeating sinner. He forgives the repenting sinner. God forgives those who are truly sorry and turn from their sins, not those who say they are sorry and turn right back to sin. When God restarts the church, he's going to restart it with people who genuinely repent of their sin and desire to walk in an intimate relationship with, with him. Ritual doesn't change lives, not even ritual accompanied by conviction and emotion. Only Jesus Christ can change lives. And if your life is the same since the day you started going to church, then no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been a member, no matter how much you know about the Bible, you've never met the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who know the Lord Jesus Christ come away with a changed life. Number three, their return to normal destroyed the true purpose of the sanctuary. You'll notice in verse 11, Jeremiah raises this question that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I even, I have seen it. You might say, well, that's a familiar verse. I didn't know that was an Old Testament verse. I, I thought it was a New Testament verse, and it is because you'll remember that when Jesus closed the temple, you remember, do you remember? That's what he did. He ran everybody out so he could reopen it and restart it. And he did so because he said, what you've done is you've made my father's house, which was to be a house of prayer, a den of robbers. You see, the problem in Jesus' day and in Jeremiah's day and also the problem in our day is we've taken that word sanctuary and we've not used it in the same way that God wants it to be used. For the people, they thought the sanctuary was a safe place. This is the temple of the Lord. We're safe here. We're delivered here. But what God wanted his house to be and his people to be, he wanted his house to be a holy place and he wanted them to be holy people. They thought that being present in the temple ensured their deliverance. There are great numbers of church members today who have what I call fire insurance Christianity. Long years ago, they heard a sermon that made them afraid of hell, so they come to church on Sunday. They sing church songs and they give their money 
That's their insurance that they won't go to hell. Church for them is not a holy place. It's a place to hide. It's not a place to pray. It's a place to pretend. If that person is you and you do all those things but don't have a relationship with God, you are fooling yourself just as were the people of Jeremiah's day. Number four, returning to normal for them would not remove the judgment of God. God said to them, he said, remember Shiloh. You don't remember Shiloh, I'm sure. Although we talked about the church at Shiloh some months ago in our own church. That cry, remember Shiloh, might be like we hear today. Remember the Alamo. You've heard that expression before. And perhaps you know a little bit about the history of the tragic thing that happened at the Alamo. That was not a spiritual thing. That was not a church thing. But what happened at Shiloh was tragic, and it was spiritually tragic. You might remember Shiloh more by the little child that was born there, whose name was Ichabod. They gave the child the name Ichabod because God's glory had departed from the place of worship. His glory had departed from his people, and that's what God was saying to the people of Jeremiah's day. Remember Shiloh, because I'll do the same thing to you. We don't like Old Testament passages of Scripture because they're harsh and hard. We would rather hear from the New Testament because Jesus never, ever said anything harsh or hard. Or did he? Well, as a matter of fact, Jesus said something very similar to the church at Laodicea. The church at Laodicea, their normal was coming to church without a love for Jesus. He said, you've left your first love. You know what Jesus told them? He said, you can repent or else I will spit you out of my mouth like stale coffee or rancid milk. He told them that what they needed to do was repent, not return to normal. I think we need to consider that each one of us as church members in whatever church we belong to, that we need to repent, that that's what God's calling us to do. Here in Jeremiah's day, they came back to church and everything got back to normal and it looked like a revival but not to God. God told them they were deceiving themselves into thinking that normal was acceptable to them. When I left George County in the late 1980s, I moved to Gulfport to be a pastor there. And uh, my television stations changed a bit, and I began to watch more of the news that on the Mississippi Gulf Coast and became much more acquainted with hurricanes. And, of course, you're well acquainted with hurricanes here in George County. And you might remember that commercial that ran on WLOX many years ago where the civil defense director, Wade Geist, would ascend the steps to the hurricane-proof house uh, that the people stayed in during Hurricane Camille. And as he ascended those steps, he would remind them of how safe the people felt in that house because it was, quote, hurricane-proof. But when he got to the top of the steps, there was no house there. The house had been swept away by Hurricane Camille, and so had those in it. Only the stairs remained. They had a false sense of security. The people of Jeremiah's day were convinced that everything was going to be all right because they had other prophets telling them that God wanted to bless them, that God wanted to give them, he wanted to favor them and give them a good parking place up at Walmart or put a little bit more money in their bank. They didn't want to hear prophets like Jeremiah who said they needed to repent, but it was time for them to listen. And on this particular day, they found Jeremiah standing at the gate, blocking their way into the temple, and he was there telling them that they were fooling themselves. 
you and I need to think about something. Because if God decided to pour forth his judgment upon the world today, being in the Baptist church wouldn't protect you, and being in the Methodist church wouldn't protect you. Being in the Pentecostal church wouldn't protect you, and being in the Catholic church wouldn't protect you. The only thing that would protect you is being in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing him as your Savior. Do you know him? If you do, you're secure. If you're depending on anyone or anything else for security, you're fooling yourself just like those in that hurricane-proof house during Hurricane Camille. Some of you with your normal idea of church have been ascending what you think is a hell-proof shelter that will not withstand the judgment of God. So how will God restart His church? I have some suggestions. First, when God restarts His church, He will do so with people who have a brokenness over their own sin. Second, when God restarts His church, He will do so with people who have a deep sense of their need for Him. Third, when God restarts his church, he will do so with a people who have an all-consuming passion for his presence and power. Next, when God restarts his church, you remember what he did in the New Testament when Jesus restarted the temple, ran out the money changers, overturned the tables. He cleansed it. He changed it and made it what he intended it to be a house of prayer, a house where people could genuinely seek the Lord and experience His presence. In the weeks to come, I look forward to the restart of First Baptist Church. I pray that God would restart us from the ground up, not new members, but a renewed membership with a renewed relationship. What's that going to look like? What should it look like? Well, here's the thing I would like to suggest. I would like to suggest that I, all of us together, we need to give our church to God like a blank sheet of paper and let Him write the story of our future. From COVID-19 forward, will the church across the world flourish or will it die? Will this church flourish or will it die? The answer to that is in this question. Will we allow him to restart it the way he wants? Or do we simply desire to return to normal? I pray that you will want more than normal. I pray that when you come back to church, you will be looking for God. You will be longing for his presence and power to be poured out in this church, in your church, and upon your life. May God bless you. Thank you so much for listening.